Hello, friends, and welcome to the show. As the boss, part of your job is to communicate more effectively to your direct reports and also to your boss above you. The way that most of us do that is through emails or maybe we get into a meeting and we have a really boring PowerPoint slideshow. Our guest today on the show is Jill Greenbaum. Now, Jill is a graphic facilitator among many other talents. And what we're going to talk about in this episode is how to use the techniques of visual to make you a more effective communicator. It's one of the things that many of you are struggling with right now as we are in the middle of a pandemic. How do I get my message across? How do I engage my employees? How do I communicate their challenges to my boss? You may be missing out on a great tool if you're not using something visual. Jill's going to give us some ideas on how to get started, some tools that we can use, more importantly, some examples of how you can do this effectively. She's an awesome trainer. I took a course of hers a few months ago. It has completely been a game changer for me. So let's quit talking about Jill. Let's talk to her. You know what to do. Buckle up. It's time to roll. Welcome to the Boss Builder Podcast. Jill Greenbaum, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, Mac. I am delighted to be here. I'm really glad that we could finally do this. And so, you know, I'm going to give you a, a chance to talk about yourself, but I want to let the audience know just who you are from where I sit. And so um, at, at one time I had worked for a large training vendor as a contract hired gun, and I happened to run into you at something we were doing in California, and it was great to meet you. And then we ran into each other again. I think it was in Atlanta. Mm. And then I did not hear or see you for a very long time. And then... For some reason, there was all these little pop-ups on LinkedIn of Jill doing this really interesting drawing technique. And uh, as somebody who has horrible penmanship and even worse artwork, I thought, now there's a chance to really change the game up. And so we reached out and you invited me to one of your workshops in Kansas City. And it was absolutely the most probably impressive workshop I've ever been. And it gave me a skill that has been just amazing so I'm so glad we could finally get together on the show, and I'm dying to talk to you about visual and how that can help us. So with my long intro out of the way, Jill, I want <laughs> you to tell us tell us about yourself, your journey. What, what the heck is here that you are at today? Because I know you've got a very interesting background. <laughs> I do. I do have a varied past, and I think it all comes together with where I am right now. But I started years ago as a New York City public school teacher, always working in special education settings and loving education. And what I particularly love about special ed is the need to understand and reach the whole child. And so in the training I do now, it's the whole human. But it started back there. And that means reaching them visually, auditorily, and kinesthetically by seeing, hearing, and doing. And so that's where I began. And I was a teacher, principal, and administrator, always in special education settings in New York. And I have a master's in bilingual special ed and a doctorate in curriculum development or instructional design, if we're talking business speak, from Teachers College, Columbia University. And so being a curriculum developer, I love to learn things and then see how I can use them in my life and share them with other people. 
And so I did that work in education for a while. I ran a couple of nonprofits in New Jersey. And then I decided working for myself was really the best way to go. And I launched my business, which was at the time, over 20 years ago, primarily instructional design, training, meaning delivering trainings, and some coaching. And as I was coaching, I decided that bringing visuals into that work would be really helpful. And in fact, the way it turned out, I started in this field gosh, over 12 years ago with my first training with Christina Merkley up in Victoria, British Columbia. And I've done multiple trainings with her since then, but I was at her first training and she said, you know, there's this organization. So I'm dropping a few hints here if people are interested along the way to to find some resources. There's this organization called the International Forum of Visual Practitioners, and they have a conference coming up in Pittsburgh. And I've heard that if you have a book, you can promote it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I have a coaching program. It's not a book, but if I create visuals where students in the college admissions process can enter their data, very different from Naviance, you know, the computer program that um, that students are using today. But if they really focus on themselves and enter their data, they can draw their own conclusions about the kinds of colleges that are going to be the best matches for them. And so I literally took what was uh, speaking, talking, auditory coaching program and made it into a visual coaching program. And that's how I got started in all of this. Yeah. So you, I mean, your background is really incredible because on top of all this, you've facilitated workshops and, and then again, I hadn't really heard much from you for a long time. And then I started seeing you with the visual things and it was a very unique type of drawing, something I hadn't seen before. It had a lot of really interesting shadings and things like that. So I heard about it as something called Bicablo, and that's really kind of where I'm at right now, learning this technique. But you've been doing the, the Bicablo for how long, Joe? Gosh, I first met folks from Bicablo back in 2016 at another one of the International Forum of Visual Practitioner Conferences. By that time, I had been so interested in the field. I started back in 2012 with the IFVP that I started working on their learning committee and became a board member and then helped organize conferences. And so I met two of my who are now my colleagues from Bicablo at this conference and just was completely taken with the process and the method, just as you were, Mac, just um, the simplicity of creating very recognizable icons, symbols, figures, and all of that. And so that's where I started. So that was 2016. In 2017, I hosted my colleague Frank and uh, his partner Corolla. And they came to the U.S. and they did a tour of major cities. And uh, so I was the host in New York and I got to know them better and learn even more about the process. And by 2018, I was ready to jump on board. And so I went to Cologne and I was trained there. And Bicablo is actually a made up word. People are often a little confused. They don't know how to say it. And I say, oh, my gosh, that's understandable because it's made up of three German words, builder, carton, block. And in essence, that means picture blocks. And so what we use in Bicablo are symbols, icons, graphic elements, and figures to tell stories. Yeah. And it just seems like there's a very, I mean, I've seen flip charting done, but this has its own little style, almost like its own, I guess, lettering. And I think what really makes it stand out is those shadings in there, which for me, when I first started doing it, I thought, I don't know if I could do this. And as soon as I learned how to do that, it was amazing how these things 
just sort of popped out. You know, I think you're absolutely right. And I think back because I've done a number of different types of training in this field of um, visual facilitation. And I used to use a lot of color. I mean, very, very colorful. And I still like my colors. And yet I've become more restrained because I'll use black as a main color, do the shading as you're talking about, uh, and do it very purposefully because there are a number of different ways that you can shade. And then a couple of other colors to keep people focused on what the message is. So I look back on some of my older drawings and I go, gosh, the, you know, visually they're very appealing. Uh, there is a logical flow. People understand what they're about, but my drawings are tighter now. And what I have to offer people, I think, has uh, a better internal line logic because of that. And that's really what I like about Picablo is that it is a very methodical and structured approach, which people learn, and then they start to customize and make their own. And I, th I think that's the beauty of it. I mean, one of the books, one of my favorite books put out by uh, Martin Hausman, meaning he wrote it. He is one of the co-owners of Bicab the Bicablo Academy. It's called Uzmo, meaning U-Z-M-O, thinking with the pen. And those letters, U, Z, M, and O, are used to make a lot of the figures and the shapes and the icons that we use. And so I think people's people are, uh, I'm trying to think of the easiest way to put this, people come to this more easily because we're so used to using letters like U, Z, M, and O and other kinds of letters. So we can feel comfortable making those letters, putting them together in varying ways to come up with shapes that are recognizable. So it doesn't feel foreign. It's not like you're stepping into an illustration class and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know where to begin with this. You really already have some of these skills in your hand. Well, and again, I don't want to ruin anything that you would get in the workshop, except those <laughs> letters, she put those together into a drawing. I won't even tell you what it is because I want you to take the class. But I thought, how in the world do you get that from those letters? Uh -huh. And you have to think, too, you're not going to do them. You got to twist them around a little bit. But I think that's what really stood out to me. And I have to say, Jill, when I first saw the when we started in the class, I thought, oh, my God, Jill must be an artist. So are you an artist? <laughs> Yes. And you know, I am, I am no artist. I have definitely taken a couple of art classes. I have been studying this for a while and yet I believe virtually everyone can do this work. And so many people come into class, Max saying to me, you know, I make stick figures. I can barely even do stick figures. How am I ever going to do this? And to a person, since I've done this starting in August of 2018, there has never been a person that has not made progress and created really recognizable and very usable at work drawings to convey conversations, discussions, decision-making, strategy planning, and a variety of other tasks. Yeah. And that's, I am in that category. So, you know, my one, I guess, highlight career-wise was when I was in the second grade and I made the honor roll. And the one class that kept me back from honor roll for the three quarters prior was penmanship. Oh, yeah. And so when I got on the honor roll in second grade, the only time ever, um, that's the one thing I had to bring up. And so when we got together, uh, I think I told you, even when we did the intros, that I just can't do this. And I'm, I'm good at telling stories mm. and I'm just not really good at the coordination. And it just took one day. And Sadly, I had to leave early to catch a flight, which, as it turned out, everybody that was flying out that night from Kansas City ended up getting stuck. So I just drove home. But uh, it was probably only six hours of contact time in the class, maybe a little less. And, and I was able to really bring back a lot. So it's your ability to teach. And the, the thing I've noticed, so if you are ever going to be friends with Jill, 
you could put a little stick figure on your LinkedIn and she would still tell you it was good. She's very encouraging. And sometimes I wonder, okay, does, does mine really look good or is she just being nice? Um, so she is very encouraging. And that's exactly what you need if you want to take this technique. So we've talked about the technique itself, but what I'd like to do is focus on why would we even need to use visuals? So the people listening to our podcast today, and usually what I try to do when I think it's, it saddles to is to put it on both shows. So if you're listening to this on Boss Builder Podcast, you are the uh, really first time supervisor. If you are listening to HR Oxygen, you are the overwhelmed, overworked, and underappreciated HR professional. For both of those, Jill, yeah. why would visual be a benefit? Oh, gosh. What a great question. And so I've got a number of different ideas around this. So I'll be looking to hear from you what resonates for you and your capacity and the people that you know that are listening to you from the various viewpoints. But for me, the place I'd begin by talking about using visuals is with the key areas that HR professionals are concerned with. And so for me, that's change, right? Change is a constant in our environments when we're working in organizations. And I think visuals can really provide that canvas for people to see the change that's going to be happening. And, you know, for me, one of my favorite books is the book Transitions by William Bridges that discusses the difference between change and transition. So change is, we're, right now we're talking, an hour from now we're both going to be doing different things, right? But the transition is the emotional component to the change that we experience. And I think so often in organizations, people dread change because we're not paying enough attention to the emotional transition that people need to make and giving them the time to do that and creating visuals to really explore what does this change look like? What's it going to mean to us? What kind of timeline do we need? And putting it up there for people to see and posting it in offices or in hallways. So people get a sense of, yes, we know it's in the back of our head all the time. We need to put it more in front of us more of the time to have more successful transitions into change. So I think in this way, a visual can be an object to refer to, to discuss, refine, and deepen the conversations. So what I'm thinking here is that let's just, so I don't like to date stamp my podcast, but we might as well now because we're <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic and there is a ton of uncertainty. So it's because there's change. And I guess maybe part of that uncertainty makes the change even worse. You don't know when the next shoe is going to drop. Right. So how would a visual depiction make people be a little bit more at ease with say something like a pandemic, which doesn't happen every other day, but it's the life we're all involved with right now. Absolutely. And so whether it is this extreme that we're experiencing a pandemic, or if it's changes within an organization, meaning acquisitions or downsizing or any number of things, I think the ways that visual visuals can help is that people can start to put what they're thinking and feeling on the page. Meaning I could do it if I'm doing the drawing, or I could facilitate a conversation where others are sharing what they're thinking and feeling about this. What I've seen in one of my favorite places to visit professionally is the Graphic Facilitation Facebook page. There are over 14,000 members on that page. And I, of course, scroll through it every morning. I want to see what my friends and colleagues are up to. There are so many wonderful drawings on the page about how to flatten the curve, right? What we need to do to be safe. And what I've started to do on my own, I haven't published any of these, but I'm doing almost every day, I'm doing a drawing related to my reactions or other people's reactions to the life we are now leading. And for me, it feels like I'm doing something 
positive and helpful for myself to spend some time directly thinking about it. And that's a value to me. So for me, that would be one of the ways in, or one or more of the ways in which people could use this tool, um, sharing thoughts and feelings, giving themselves time and space that's dedicated as opposed to what I see a lot of is free floating anxiety around what's going on. Yeah. You know, when you said that, I was thinking about this too, when this is all over with and when we all have, you know, money in our stock market, the, the two things that we're going to remember are probably social distancing and flattening the curve. And to me, both of those are visual things, right? You think of social distancing, six feet apart or whatever it's supposed to be. Yeah. And then you've mentioned already the curve. I mean, that's one thing we, we tune in every day to get basically to see Dr. Fauci because he's the guy we all probably think really knows what's going on. And that's what he keeps talking about. So the visual depiction. But it seems to me we could take that into a corporate environment where there is uncertainty and what's it going to look like. And it just seems like that is not done. How does the, what you do, Jill, differ from somebody who's going to show us a hundred PowerPoint slides though? Cause that's visual too, isn't it? Oh, it's absolutely visual. And, and there are lots of interesting visuals out there, whether they're slides or they're videos. To me, what's really different about this work is that it is, it is created by the human hand, right? And whether that's markers and paper or whether that's done digitally on an iPad or a Wacom tablet or something like that, it's fresh, it's engaging, it's lively, and it's done often either out of a person's own head, like you and I are talking about doing our own work, or it's done in conjunction with other people. And it, in essence, becomes almost, it can be used as a living document. Like, here's what we're thinking right now right? When do we come back and revisit this? What do we need to revisit? And I think it just, it looks and feels completely different. And so the book that I created, which is still up on Amazon and bn.com is called How to Major in You and Find the Right College. And it's a program that can be used as self-coaching, meaning a student can pick it up and work her or his way through reading it and then doing the templates. It's something that I can do in a group with folks. It's also something I can do with um, with students one-on-one. And yet the visuals are they're kind of they're kind of fun. They're different. They don't look perfect and polished as if literally they came out of a computer. And I think that's really the difference. There's an energy about them that's engaging and draws you in. Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely onto something there. If you think about maybe some of the best presentations you ever saw, you don't say, boy, that person's PowerPoint show is amazing, especially when the bullets came in and sounded like cars screeching, you know, back when PowerPoint first came out and people got excited. Sure. But, you know, I can remember as a little kid um, back when I was in Sunday school, this is, you know, back in the 70s, the early 70s, probably. Uh, there was a, there was a, one of the, he was one of the older guys in the church. His name was Mr. Brick and Mr. Brick, we, we'd always find out, Oh, Mr. Brick's going to do a story. So what he had is he had these probably two foot by two foot pieces of cardboard white, and he would actually draw in pen and he would tell us stories. And we were just mesmerized. Even kids like me that goofed off. In Sunday <laughs> school. We all shut up and listened. And I think that's where I started to say, boy, that was, I think of the visual and when I'm really going to be into something, it's when I can see it take place in front of my eyes. This is why uh, I used to like watching Bob Ross, the painter, uh, you know, the guy with the Afro and he mm-hmm. paint on, I guess it was on the, I forget the public access TV or whatever it was. But again, telling a calming story while drawing something that appears in front of your eyes. To me, that is just really going to get people's attention. 
It totally does. And I have to say, uh, I do some graphic recording also, meaning someone will be speaking at a conference or at an important meeting, and I'll be over at a wall, you know, the side of the room. I don't want to be uh, even near the speaker because I don't want to take attention away from that person. That's not my my work there. My work is to record what's being shared with the group. And I tell you, some of the speakers who have never had that done for them before, they come over and they're like kids. They're like, can we take a picture together? This is so great. No one's ever taken my words down in this way. And um, their energy and enthusiasm is really palpable. And it's so exciting to be able to do that for someone. And we can start to do that ourselves, meaning we can start to not so we can start to record what we hear. So you could be recording, not you personally, anyone listening is what I mean, could be recording this podcast. You can go to TED Talks and make recordings. And what you discover a lot is that some people are really gifted entertainers. And so you really enjoy listening to them. And other people are really gifted speakers or presenters. And they really have a good logical flow because there are times where I've recorded people and quite honestly, Their work doesn't stand up when you see it on the page because it was more of entertainment or a show than a real sharing of great information. So basically, if I was a very boring lecturer, (laughs) this could make it more interesting. But if I'm a great speaker already, I may not be able to get as much value from the visual piece of it. Is that what you're saying? That actually was not where I was going, but let's talk about that for a sec. What I'm what I mean is I'm thinking of some people that I recorded the other summer at the responsive conference at the end of the summer. And both of them were really good speakers and had a good logical flow to what they were saying. So their charts made a lot of sense and were not only visually appealing because of the colors that were used, they were also visually appealing because you could logically understand where the person began, what topics followed and how it all came together. I see. Okay. And so I'm hoping that's more clear. So I'll give you an example in which uh, I actually said I'd prefer not to do a recording of this. And that's where one of the speakers was essentially answering questions from people in the audience, because that was just, there was no logical flow. It was just a question and answer, a question and answer. And it was a bunch of speech bubbles. And that's not the kind of thing that I'm trying to create. I'm literally trying to create a story as you were talking about it before, what happened at the beginning? What was discovered? How did it progress? And what's the summary and or the conclusion? So what would it be like? Because you know, we now we're seeing a lot more when the governor gets up and is giving an address, there's always somebody who's doing sign language. Yes. What would what would it be like if we had next to the sign language person somebody like you who was recording? What type of value would that add to oh my gosh. the be, governor's message? It would be so amazing. It would be so wonderful. I mean, I just think of you know some of the nonprofits that I work with and the important meetings that they have with stakeholders, meaning people from the community. And I go in and I record what happens at those meetings. So someone else is running the meeting or facilitating the conversations, and I'm just capturing, in essence, what the agenda is, how people are responding to it, and what comes up in the moment. And What I think is so wonderful about that is not only do you have something that is appealing to look at as opposed to an agenda, I think most of us can imagine what an agenda looks like on a piece of paper. You know, it's the big word agenda and it's got a bunch of bullet points. And so it's not truly engaging. But when you see a piece of paper that's four feet feet high and eight feet wide, and it has all of the elements of the agenda and what was said about each one of those elements and maybe questions that came up. And if you have 
a person that really skillfully runs a meeting, they leave time towards the end to go over and take a look and have people review like, this is where we've been today. Are there things we need to talk about in more detail now or in the future? Are there questions that we need to add to this so that it's not just a document that exists at one point in time, it's one that we can use prospectively, right? So there are all kinds of ways to use visuals. It can be a recording of what happened in this time period, or it can be the foundation for future conversations. Well, you know, the one thing that is probably the best thing about, for those of us who are now no longer working in office buildings with colleagues, the one beautiful thing we no longer have to experience is the dreaded meeting, mm. right? The meeting. So what, could you see visual graphic facilitation making a meeting more, I guess, productive? <laughs> Absolutely. And I have to tell you, I'm chuckling because I used to volunteer with a nonprofit and uh, some of the meetings were more interesting than others. At every single meeting, I would bring my iPad and I would record everything going on at the meeting because quite honestly, even if I were a little bored or there was a lull in the conversation, I had my work in front of me that I could augment in any number of ways. You know, an extra figure, an icon, a symbol, add some color, add some meaning to it. And so I suggest that everybody, the next meeting you're in, absolutely have, you know, your moleskin with you or a piece of blank paper or your iPad and your pencil if you're comfortable with that. I tend to use Procreate, but there are a number of good programs out there. And start to dabble in this. There's no reason to wait. And I think it's a great way to make meetings interesting. You know, so I was just at an ATD meeting in New York City, so TD.org, and it's so our local chapter. And there was a fellow presenting on visuals, and he, he had a very interesting presentation. To him, visuals meant slides. Hmm. And I think in the hour and 15 minutes he was there, he showed us over 300 slides. Wow. And we didn't really realize it was that many because so many of them built on each other. And he was very skillful. He came out of the field of, you know, entertainment. And, um, and so he was a very skilled presenter. And my colleague and friend, Ann Gibbons, graphically recorded it on the wall, piece of paper, four by eight. I sat there with my iPad and recorded it also. And it was interesting to see our takeaways after, you know, an hour and 15 minutes and 300 slides. They were pretty much the same. I mean, graphically, we, we represented it differently, but it made the meeting, quite frankly, to me, so much more interesting because I was capturing not only what he was saying, but how people were responding to it. Wow, that's interesting. Well, I mean, could you see a point in the future, Jill, where people just do away with the PowerPoint and go to something visual like this? I could. I, I absolutely can because that's the way I think. I will tell you, after this one particular meeting, uh, one person that I had never met before came up to me and he said, oh, I saw what you were doing and I see what Anne's doing. It's really interesting. I work in finance and I'm not sure that we could use anything like this in our work because you know we're so tightly regulated in terms of what we can put out and how we do it. And I said, I'm certain that there are times where it would be difficult or prohibitive, just too hard to make come together. And yet, if you're running meetings, how do you engage people in being there? How do you put your agenda together? So maybe your financials have to show up in a certain way, you know, the actual numbers. But how do you think differently about your meeting if you're really there to engage people as opposed to doing a report out? Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I don't think anybody's going to complain if you have less, you know, <laughs> so I'm going to have to admit when I, when I came to your class in Kansas city, you know, I came into the room and I looked around and it was just a bunch of wall space. 
And you had a, a, a paper that had the agenda, and then you had a paper that kind of described, um, you know, what the what what. And so it was like, what's the day going to look like? But then, what is the timing? And I kind of thought, okay, well, that's not telling me a whole lot. But the beauty <laughs> of that is, is it told the story because it gave you the chance to actually talk, and we weren't taken hijacked by the graphics. So in this case, it seems like less is more. And the more that we really want to hear when it comes down to it is that of the speaker. And I mean, that's not just me. When I was, uh, I was at the, it was a Kansas state SHRM conference. This was, I guess, a year before I went down there. And of course they want you to have your PowerPoint slides available. Well, a lot of mine are quizzes, so I don't like giving them away. So it comes down to the fact they might have six slides and somebody looked at their phone as I was getting ready to start. And they said, Oh my God, you only have six slides. And I said, well, there's a few more. They're like, oh, shoot. We were hoping it was only six. So the audience, I think, less is more. And when the less is what you're offering with graphic facilitation, Mm -hmm. that is more than any other thing you could possibly get. So this seems like uh, I really hope is the future. Not right away, because I want to be unique for a while before everybody jumps on the bandwagon. (laughs) But for right now, this seems like where I think a lot of people would be happiest to see a presentation like this. I agree completely. And so I have done some work with the American Management Association and do work with Operation Enterprise, which is their youth leadership division. And so for some of those uh, presentations that I give, and this is for teenagers and folks in college, I walk in and I certainly have my agenda as you described it. You know, this is what we'll be talking about. And it's in mostly pictures, very few words. And I create templates that I hand out to all the students. So they have the agenda there also, and they have the ability to make their notes on the paper in front of them. Because I find oftentimes not just younger students, even older students, meaning our age, show up unprepared to make their notes. Because I think in part, they think they're going to get a deck of slides to take home with them. And then I just wonder how often they actually look at that. So I want to not even have that conversation. And I want to offer people the opportunity to get engaged. So I'm sure that they have a piece of paper in front of them that is a reflection of what we'll be talking about. Not everything, you know, just the the main idea so that they can make their notes in there. And I'm making a point of saying make their notes as opposed to take their notes. Because to me, the distinction is taking your notes is you're, you're taking down everything that I'm saying, and you're not necessarily interacting with it. It's probably going pretty quickly. And making your notes is taking the time to reflect on, well, what do I already know about this? And what's going to be a meaningful note for me? What can I use in the future? And so I want to give people space in which to do that. And so that's why I give them this template that is hand-drawn. And um, it's really engaging for folks, and I have a great time creating it, and they walk out with something that we've created together. So it's a co-creation. Yeah, and I think, too, when they know that they have to make their notes, they're going to pay attention, and that'll keep them off their phones. Yeah. Because I'm kind of like that. If I'm hearing something really boring, I'll know, well, I'll just look at the PowerPoint slides later. Yes. But if there are no slides, then it's like, okay, whatever you take out of this is what you've written down or you know, drawn visually. I think that's going to really be a difference. That's great. Yeah. I've just found it to be um, my pleasure in creating it because it's also a really good focus for me. You know, I have my notes around it. My notes are literally just the filled in template and I can work from that. Yeah. Well, okay. So we've talked about what this technique is and graphic facilitation. You've given us plenty of examples of how we can use it. So the, the last two things we have to talk about is how do I learn to use it and what are the tools that I'm going to need 
to actually get it done. So why don't we start with how do I learn something like this? Tell us what programs are available. And I'm going to obviously give you time at the end to tell us how to get to them. But I want to know now what's out there that a person could sign up for. And then what are the right tools to use? Because you corrected me on something I wanted to use right away. And now I understand why. So um, yeah, what should we be doing now? Okay. So well, certainly, I would be talking about the Bicablo Academy, um, and so that's a particular technique that is, I think, simple, but not simplistic, and very methodical that enables people to go from literally drawing stick figures to, at the end of the day, having complete posters that can be used in your next meeting that are bright and colorful, have a good logical flow, and convey content well. So Bicablo is definitely one of the programs that is out there. I have colleagues around the world in San Francisco. There's a consultancy called The Grove, The Grove Consultants, and David Sibbett started that years ago. And so they offer um, a number of different trainings. Brandy Agerbeck is a colleague and friend of mine who is based in Chicago. Oh my gosh, there are programs There are at least half a dozen different types of programs in the United States. There are more around the world. And I would suggest, number one, you can always reach out to me to ask me questions. You can also start to Google visual practitioner. You can look on the website for the International Forum of Visual Practitioners. So the IFVP.org. And so I'm a member there as are hundreds of other folks, many of whom offer some kind of training. Um, There are trainings that are live and in person. And so everyone I've talked about so far, and of course, that would include Christina Merkley, who is up in Victoria, British Columbia. I have a colleague, Sam Brad, who's out in Vancouver, uh, Canada. So there are live and in-person courses. There are also some live and online courses that are being offered. I will say at Picablo, at this point, we work, so at this point in time, we are working live and in person, and we are pilot testing virtual programs. And I think um, there are advantages and disadvantages to, to both ways of doing this. Although I would be strongly a proponent of live and in person, I understand given our current reality and realities in the future and budgets and travel and all of that, that uh, online can be very helpful to people. Uh, it just, it's got to be done really well. And I think that's the thing. We have to be really um, savvy consumers of these programs to see who we are and what they offer and how they really accommodate for this task, which is literally hands-on, right? And how is that being accommodated in an online environment? You know, what kind of special care are you getting? Because you know, Mac, from the day that we spent together, I spend my day walking around the room. I put on a couple of miles, <laughs> Mm-hmm. my speakers as I'm working because I visit everybody multiple times and share not only compliments as you talked about, also constructive feedback for how to do it differently and better next time or what to be looking for. And those are the things that we have to be sure, in my opinion, get captured in any virtual program. Well, I will tell you if, you know, who knows how long we're all going to be quarantined from for, but if this is offered virtually, man, what a perfect time to learn it and practice. And then when this is over with, uh, let me just save you all the headache. Just go to Jill's program. That's (laughs) that's all you need to know. When she puts it out there, just go sign up for it. Um, When I see more on the calendar, I'm going to go back, especially if you offer the two day, because I just don't think you can learn enough in the practice. So we know now how to learn it. And that's to go to see you. So right now, if I just say, I'm so excited, I want to start drawing. What are some tools you'd recommend for us? 
So what I would recommend is um, there is a German company that is pronounced Neuland, but that's spelled N-E-U-L-A-N-D. So it's Neuland.com. And their website pops up in German, but it translates into English easily. And um, I have to say, don't blame me if you spend all of your budget there, because they have the most wonderful markers in the world in terms of the range of colors, the types of markers. Uh, we work when we start in Bicablo with a chisel tip. So it's got a, a real flat edge, um, but there are also round nibs and there are brush pens. They come in all kinds of colors. Uh, and so that's a great place to get that particular supply. What I like about them also is that they're refillable markers. So you can buy ink to refill them. So you're not tossing them out when you're done. You can replace the nibs. I feel like I'm ambassador for Neuland here for a quick minute, uh, but they have really great materials. They also carry the Bicablo book of which there are four at this point. And there's another one coming out uh, in the next couple of months. So I'm very excited to see what that's going to be about. I mean, I have an inkling, but I, I've been sworn to secrecy. So well, I would that's say- That's something to look forward to, yeah. yeah. Well, I can tell you, Neuland, and, and I can just tell you, this is where I order my stuff from. It comes quick. Yes. From Germany, you might get it in three days. And you know the shipping's a little pricey. So don't just order one marker for three bucks. <laughs> you're going to pay like 20 in shipping, but- um, and just a word of warning, when you refill the markers, don't keep squeezing the little bubble. <laughs> don't ask me how I know that. <laughs> All right. We won't ask, but Happily Moylan does have lots of good information in their ink bottles and on their site about how to work with all their materials. I will say one thing that we know, Mac, because you know of the training that we've been in, but you want to definitely buy the permanent black ink marker. And then you can buy other colors that you can use with that. But if you buy the regular black ink marker and then you try and use other colors with it, you're going to have a mess on your page and on your on the nibs of your markers. So it's important um, to look at their site, to check it all out, think about it. Uh, look at the Bacablo books. And I will say one of uh, another colleague and friend, Heather Martinez, who teaches wonderful lettering courses. Yeah, I just took her course the other day. It was great. She's awesome. And she and I actually pair up and she does a, a full day of lettering that follows a full day of Bacablo. So after two days, people walk out with absolutely stunning charts. And um, Heather said to me, because she had never been through a Bacablo course until we teamed up last April. And she said, you know, Jill, I've, I've looked at all the Bacablo books. I, I've done drawings from them. But being in the room is completely different because of the conversations that you have about how do you hold the pen and what are the five different ways that you might shade something and what is combining colors without having to be an artist, what do you need to know about complementary and contrasting colors? And it doesn't have to be complex. And of course, she is a callig calligrapher by training. So she has a big art background, but she didn't know some of the simple techniques that we use in Bicablo because she'd never actually been in the room. Now, see, I didn't know that. I just figured she was, you know, from the very beginning. But, oh, her lettering was amazing. And uh, even that document camera she was using. So, um, and here's another thing I just discovered. You probably know this, but the uh, Neuland sells the empty markers and you can mix colors. I didn't even realize that. Totally. So, Mac, have you seen the, they're actually Montana markers, but they have the nibs that are like an inch wide or two inches yeah, wide? Yeah, I saw, yeah, she was actually using that. And I thought, well, I'd never seen anything that big. It makes the big one look small. Yes. And, and they're just so much fun. And when you're working on a 
paper that's four by eight, you might want your title with something that has got a nib that that's big. And it's just a completely different way of working. So there are so many opportunities here in terms of working large or working small. And, and getting practice in both of those. So certainly uh, those would be some of the tools you could use. As I said, some of the people I've mentioned, like Brandy Agerbeck has several books out. Uh, Kelvy Bird, who is part of uh, the Presencing Institute, she has some books out that are really wonderful and a very different style. So I think it really pays. I mean, I can just think of other people off the top of my head. Eva Lada Lamb is another. There are many books out there. It's great to take a look at a variety, maybe on Amazon or some other site where you can start to say, well, what style and what technique resonates for me? How is this going to be an easy entree into the process so that I enjoy it and stick with it? I will also say, and this is keeping on the topic of what other things, and if you hear some rustling, that's because I'm picking up this book that weighs literally five pounds, Jeez. and it's called The World of Visual Facilitation, Unlock Your Power to Connect People and Ideas. So that's also the name of the website. It was a Kickstarter campaign, The World of Visual Facilitation. And so this is a book that is literally five pounds. It has over 50 authors, I believe over 80 articles. And uh, this took over a year and a half to pull together. There are three people that were the key editors. I came in at the last minute to provide a little more help. And I have two chapters in here. And one of them is called Coaching with Templates. And that talks about how could you use templates in your coaching practice. Um, but I will say, I have colleagues from around the world that have contributed about the great variety of ways in which you can use visual practices in your work, whether it's training, facilitation, coaching, any one of those things. And I think it's a great book and it comes, you don't have to buy the five pound version. It does come as an ebook also. So that's the good news around that because you'll also see a variety of styles there and learn more about what's out in the world. And I think that will be helpful too. That's great. Now, where do we get that book from? So it's a website and the website is literally the name of the book, The World of Visual facilitation.com. Great. Well, I guess I know where I'm going as soon as we hang up here. <laughs> and it's, just, it's, it's inspiring. You know, I mean, there are literally, I know, um, there are three chapters on templates and we all approach using them from a different perspective. There's how to use, you know, visual practices in business processes written by a friend of mine. Another friend of mine wrote about listening skills. I mean, there's just a wealth of material there that you will learn not only about the visual practice piece, but think in new and different ways about the work that you do. That's great. So you've talked on the large scale. Now let's say that we got someone that says, well, you know, I, I prefer my technology. Mm. So what would you recommend for somebody that says has maybe an iPad or something? Sure. So what I would recommend and it's because it's what I use and like and have used for quite a while is I use an iPad with an Apple Pencil and the program called Procreate. And it's inexpensive. You know, it's less than $10. It's very powerful. I have not used up all of its capabilities by any means. And 
I just find that it, I wouldn't say it's exactly intuitive. And yet there are plenty of uh, YouTube videos out there about how to do certain things. So you can learn because you don't want to go in and out of, oh, I'm trying to draw and now I need to look up something in the user's manual or whatever. But it is something that if you sit down with someone that knows how to use it for half an hour, an hour, you're going to be able to sit in meetings the next day and start to take your notes. I mean, I have a colleague actually, uh, Karina Branson who's out in Colorado and she uses notability. And, um, so that I don't really know it. I was interested when I saw her use it and I am going to check it out. I just love procreate because of the amazing number of things that I can do. So I'm going to give you just a couple of examples of what I've done on an iPad. So I know you can't see them, but you and I did look at some of them during our lunch. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. Yeah. But I've created my template for strategy sessions on my iPad. And so I just have this template that every time I'm working with a new client, it's, you know, what problems are they facing right now? Right. Where are they now? What problems are they facing? And what are their goals? And my notes fill in around the icons that I've created. I've written proposals and one proposals and the proposals were all visuals. And I I will tell you, I've seen those. And at first I was skeptical, but if it's when in business, I loved it. It was really cool. It was amazing. And so I've written several proposals in that way. Of course, we've talked about an agenda and meeting notes. Um, grant writing is has also been done. That's related to proposals. The coaching that I do, I I also saw an article recently in Medium, so online, you know, medium.com, about a visual CV. And I've made a visual resume years and years ago when I started with Christina Merkley or a visual bio. And so I, I think that's a really that. that's cool. Yeah, it's super cool because you get to show yourself in a different kind of way that's really fresh and different. And once again, all the great information can be there. Yeah, I love it. And you did tell me, you warned me you, that you're going to go down a rabbit hole if you're not careful. Yes. With all the brushes and all the colors. And yeah, so, you know, just I would recommend take an hour and say, I'm just going to play. I'm not going to create because if you start to create, then you're going to get, yeah, you're right. Like, oh, I wonder what this would do. So it can be very distracting, but it's it's great. Yeah, it is. I think it's uh, what I've learned. And I think I shared with you is that partly play, 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 find what you like, and then limit your brushes and your palette so that you don't feel overwhelmed or that you're managing too much and you can always do more, but start with less. Yeah. And I think that's one thing I learned too. And just kind of following you after we had the course is that less is more. And you've talked about, you know, less colors and, and a more simple thing and, you're right. I mean, I've gone kind of nuts with the pastels here. And, <laughs> well, those make a mess too. Uh, that's why you made us do a little tray in class. I got a little dustpan and broom, but yeah, you can go crazy if you're not careful. So discipline. And that's one thing I have to get better at, but uh, <laughs> this has truly been amazing. The the challenge, of course, just when I get up and running is when this whole economy tanks and everybody's hold up waiting for the virus to pass. But I'm telling you, when this is over with, um, I think I will be better off because I've got lots of time to practice. So if you're listening to this today, it might be a good idea to start thinking about how to implement this mm-hmm. into your practice, whether you're a manager, whether you're an HR professional, and uh, and just be ready to go. Jill, you have, uh, you have a great background. Um, and I do know that you have lots of different things that you offer. So How can the audience reach out to you and what are some things that they could bring you in to help them out with? Thank you for asking. So 
folks can see what, what I'm about and what I have to offer at my website, which is jillgreenbaum.com. I do write a blog once a week that's always related to something about the work that I do. And so the work that I do is instructional design, so training, design, development, and delivery. Primarily, though, uh, this work with Bicablo and teaching and using visuals in work, whether it's visual coaching, graphic recording, or graphic facilitation. And so it may be that you're doing a strategic planning meeting and you just need someone to be there capturing what's being said in the room so that you as the facilitator can make it all happen. Or you might want someone to come in that does the facilitation and the actual graphic piece of it. So creating tools in advance, tools in the room, and then following up with post-production work. So what's happened in the room can be shared with others. They're just, so there are a variety of ways in which to do this. I work in companies with people where I will be coaching folks and I use the visuals as part of the coaching process. Not that the person I'm coaching is drawing, although that would certainly be fine, but it's more the capture of what I do and, and the body of work that I create over time with someone in that relationship. So it gets cataloged in that way, as opposed to just words um, in a file, it's pictures and words. And people get to see their growth and change and have that shared with them. That's exciting stuff. Well, Jill, I appreciate you taking time to chat with us today. Um, and again, thank you so much for sharing all the resources. Um, this is a strong endorsement that uh, you definitely should, should get into this. This is just such an amazing technique. And I am grateful, Jill, that you introduced it to me. So uh, best of luck as we weather the storm here. And uh, hopefully we come out on the other side raring to go. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure to be here. As you know, I love talking about this. I love doing this work and sharing it through my website and through LinkedIn. And Mac, thank you so much for stepping up and really changing 180 degrees, right? From death by PowerPoint, right? So many slides to moving into something that is incredibly engaging for the people that you're working with. Well, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Boss Builder Podcast, the podcast for those of you who are new to supervision, those of you in the role and struggling, and even those of you who are thinking about one day making the important transition to management. This podcast is just one resource we have. If you check out our website at greatbosstools.com, you can view some other resources we have there. We'd love to have you as part of our courses. If you're listening to this podcast on any podcast app, we'd also appreciate you taking a few moments to give us a review. Positive, of course, it really helps us out. So with that, take care and get out there and make it your goal to be the absolute best boss ever. Mm -hmm.